Well, today we're continuing our series we just have called No Doubt About It. We've been talking about uh, doubt, and we've been talking about how we all experience doubt at one time or another in our life. We even have doubts about God at times. And so that's what we've been talking about. I was reminded this week, a couple, a couple summers ago, uh, my youngest son and I went down to Key West, and um, we were driving through the Keys, and we were in Key Largo. We had stopped there to do some uh, snorkeling. And so a friend of ours said, hey, if you're going through that area, uh, there's a restaurant you need to eat at called Miss Max. And so I thought, man, look, we're only going to be there for a day. I appreciate it. We're going to be there for a day. And I was just thinking, you know, you, you go online, you Google this, you look at all these awesome places to eat, and you think, man, I only got a cut. Like, I, I don't know if I'll ever be here again in my life. I don't know if I just want to, you know, waste this opportunity. You know, I, I want to make sure that I really eat somewhere, somewhere good. How many of you like uh, dives? You like dives, right? How many of you like dives? Four of you like dives? Everybody else likes fast food? Franchises? How many of you like dives? You know what a dive is? Okay, all right, all right. It's not like a scuba dive. It's a... Okay, anyway, so there's so many options, I thought, you know, I just don't know if I, but I, I, I went ahead and rolled in there, and we had blackened mahi-mahi fish tacos. Can I just tell you, I don't, I don't know what you're going to eat in heaven, I'm eating seafood, because I'm going to tell you, it was incredible, and then we had key lime pie. I don't even like key lime pie, love that key lime pie. I'm just telling you, some of the best food I've ever put in my mouth uh, anywhere, and so, so uh, I did something I've never done in my entire life. Now remember, never been there, probably never go there again, so I want to make sure I eat everything good to eat. That night, it was so good, we went back to the same restaurant for dinner. Anybody ever done that? You, you, you ever double trip it, right? We didn't just stay through, now it wasn't like that, you know, pay once and eat twice, it wasn't that kind of thing. We actually came back and paid again and ate again. It was absolutely, so here's the thing. I can tell you right now, if I ever go back to Key Largo, like you, I'm not going to go to the hotel. I'm not going to go get gas. You don't have to ask me where I'm going to eat. I can tell you where I'm going to eat. I'm going to drive straight to Miss Max, pull up in the parking lot, and I'm going to eat whatever the special is in Key Lime Pie uh, because um, I found through a friend something that I learned to trust. Now, here's the thing. Um, that had to go from kind of a passing thought to a priority. And it took a little bit of trust. Like, I had to trust my friend a little bit. You know, you have some people that, just be honest, you have some people that recommend something, you go, no, we're not going. Right? <laughs> right? Come on, right? No, but be honest, we're not going. Nah. The kids are like, no, it doesn't matter what they said. We're not going. But you got other people, you're like, yeah, I kind of think they know what they're talking about in food, maybe we'll go. See, I had to trust my friend just a little bit, and it went from I'm not sure about that to I'm going to make this a priority. So in order for me to try that, I had to trust. Now here's what I'm praying is going to happen today for you. That, that you're going to move maybe from trusting God's faithfulness from being a passing thought to being a top priority. In this series, we talked about how to have, uh, how we struggle sometimes in the storm and how to have faith in the storm. We talked about doubting God's goodness last week. We talked about doubting God's power. Today, I want to talk about doubting God's faithfulness. So here's the key verse for the day, Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. You know, you heard the scripture? Trust in the Lord. How much of your heart? 
all of your heart. See, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want something from you. He wants everything. And until we get that right, we're all always going to be compartmentalizing part of our life and saying this is the Christian part, and this is the work part, and this is the family part, and this is my part, and this is your part. That's not how God works. God wants you to trust Him with everything. Lean not to your own understanding. See, here's the thing. There's going to be some things in life that you believe, and any time something you believe doesn't line up with what God says, go with what God says. That's what that means. Because there's some things that you and I believe that are wrong. You ever believe anything that's wrong? Or am I the only one? Because Proverbs says the heart above all things is most deceitful. And so we trick ourselves into believing things that aren't true, and we let the enemy trick us into believing things that aren't true. So we got to be very careful that we evaluate what we believe up next against what God said. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him. Trust him with everything. And what will happen? He will make your path straight. Now, here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Nobody wants a crooked path. Nobody says, I want the longest possible path to get from where I'm at to where I'm going, right? Everybody wants a straight path. Everybody wants to go the right way. I don't want to zigzag. Trust in God with all your heart. So this morning, here's what I'm going to do. This isn't even original with me. It's not scientific. It's not a poll. But I did find it to ring true to me in the years I've been in ministry. Let me give you the five areas I think that we have the hardest time trusting God in. So if we're supposed to trust God with all our heart, submit all our ways, trust everything, let me give you the five areas I think we have the hardest time. Number five, what is your little countdown? Career. See, I think life is way too short for you to hate your job. God made you to do something that you are really good at, and it will be very fulfilling for you to do. And when we look at our career through the lens of trusting God's faithfulness, then he makes our path straight, and we end up landing where we're supposed to go. Career. It's a tough place. Number four, kids. That's tough, isn't it? Trusting God with your children is a really, really, really big deal. And I think everybody struggles with it at some point. We have a hard time, the truth is, letting our kids fail, letting them experience pain or disappointment because we have a hard time trusting that the same God that brought us through our failures and our disappointment will bring them through theirs. As if the answer to life is avoiding all of that. That's not the answer to life. The answer to life's God. It's not carving out the perfect life. Number three, relationships. Here's what I'm going to promise you. If you are in a tough marriage, you are having a hard time trusting God's faithfulness. Those go together. If you've ever had relationship pain, in the middle of that relationship pain, you're having a hard time trusting God's faithfulness. There's no pain like relationship pain because relationships are also personal and they're also imperfect. So if you're going through relationship problems this morning, would you be willing to trust in the Lord with all of your heart in the middle of that relationship? All right, number two. I'm just calling this my other life. We talked about this last week. See, in the South, uh, we got a lot of great things that I love, 
But one of the things that is challenging to us in the South is we have a brand of Christianity that we're known for, Southern Christianity, cultural Christianity, whatever you want to call it. And here's how we define it. We define it as accepting an invitation to go to heaven when we die. Christianity is accepting an invitation to go to heaven when we die. The only thing is that's not a scriptural definition. That's not how the Bible defines Christianity. Christianity is not accepting an invitation to go to heaven when you die. Christianity is accepting a call to become like Jesus now. Whole different deal. Now, you get to go to heaven when you die, but you get to become like Jesus now. Whole different thing. But when we believe that Christianity is just an invitation to go to heaven when we die, we tend to create another life for ourselves here on earth. We have a life away from church. We have another life away from home. There are people in this room, you have a habit or an addiction or a problem, and it's been weighing you down, and you don't confess it. You don't tell anybody. You don't bring it out into the light. And the truth is it drains off all the spiritual energy God is trying to give you to, to serve him with. And you dry up and you dehydrate because you try to live this other life. You and I are not made to live two lives. We're made to live one life. And the same life everywhere. Right? But when we try to compartmentalize and say, well, I'm going to heaven when I die, so all, none of this matters. It does matter. And trusting God for one life, for one whole life, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to trust God for one life. What does trusting God look like? Here's what it looks like. Just take the one step that's in front of you. Just take whatever that next one step toward God is, just take it. You don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be Paul the Apostle. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be Jesus. Just take the one next step that's in front of you toward so let me ask you this question when is the last time you took a step toward Jesus that'll tell you a lot about your trust in his faithfulness in your life okay so number one what's the number one area we have a hard time trusting anybody know what it is money right money it's tough to trust God with money. Let me give you a couple of statistical thoughts. Look at this number. 76%. This is the percentage of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck. In other words, if we missed one check, it would devastate us financially. It would cripple us financially. 76% over three quarters. Here's another number. $29,400. That's the average student loan balance, $29,400. So the number one debt in America is mortgage. Now, a lot of people would say that's an investment. Yes. The number three largest debt in America is credit card. Number two, which is now past credit card, is student loan debt, $1.3 trillion. I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what a trillion is. I have no idea. $1.3 trillion. People have a hard time trusting God with their money when they're up to, up to their eyeballs in debt. 
right? I mean, it's, it's a complicated thing. And by the way, in the middle of those college years when you're amassing all that debt and you're about to marry somebody who has that debt, so you're going to leave with $60,000 of debt, the credit card companies have been so generous to send you four free credit cards. Right? The last thing a 19-year-old needs is a free credit card. Come on, somebody. <laughs> You've been in credit card debt. It's the last thing you need. It's a credit card. You can spend more than you make. Hey. Right, great. It's incredible. It's an incredible life lesson. This is a difficult area to completely submit to God and to believe he'll be faithful to make your path straight. But trusting God's faithfulness begins when we make God a priority and not just a passing thought or a Sunday thought, but a priority. 1 Kings chapter 17 is a story in the Scripture that I think displays God's faithfulness so beautifully and I just want to look at it this morning. Let me give you a little backdrop before we start reading so, so you can... Uh, we're jumping right in the middle of the story. There's a drought in Israel. Now, here's what I've learned. There's nothing that causes doubt like a drought. Right? If you have a drought in your relationship, it's going to cause you to doubt that relationship. If you have a drought in your finances, it's going to cause you to doubt financially. If you have a drought in your career, it's going to cause you to doubt God's calling on your life and where you're supposed to be. But here's what happened in this story. God arranged for Elijah to go live next to this little stream, which was incredible because if you're in the middle of a drought and a famine, what's the one thing you absolutely have to have? Water. You have to have water. So God led Elijah to go live by this little water source so he could just drink all the water that he wanted. Every day, God sent birds to him, and they brought bread every morning and every evening. So now he has water, and now he has food. Now think about this for a minute. Other people in that region are dying because they're dehydrating and they're starving to death. So you might say bread and water, that's not very good. But compared to everybody else, it was incredible. And so he had bread and water. I mean, he has curbside service. Birds are bringing, it's like better than Chick-fil-A. They're bringing it to him, right? All he has to do is sit there. Now, it might not be Longhorn Steakhouse, but if you look what everybody else is eating, they're dying, it's okay. But something happened, 1 Kings 17, 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, a brook doesn't dry up overnight, Right? Any of you lived out in the country, you got a stream on your property? They just, they just drop overnight. You look at it, and it starts getting smaller, and it starts getting lower, and rocks start sticking up you hadn't seen before, right? It just starts to, it just starts to, so I think if I were Elijah, and maybe if you were Elijah, we'd be tempted, we'd go out every day and see that little brook starting to dry up, and we'd be tempted to be waving our hands at God and going, hey, 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 I don't know if you've seen this. But this is what's keeping me alive. I don't know if you noticed. I know you're kind of busy. But I don't know if you noticed. But this is what's keeping me alive. Don't you see what's happening? And then he goes out. So day after day after day, it's a little smaller, a little smaller. Till one day he goes out and the Bible says it's dry. And most of us would be tempted to say at that point, Hey, you're the one that led me here. Why did you lead me to a stream that was going to dry up? But Elijah never does that. We get every sense from this passage that Elijah trusted God's faithfulness. And look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, 
and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, I don't know if that sends bells and whistles off in your mind when you read that, but it does in mine for several, several reasons. Uh, number one, uh, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. You know what I found out about droughts? God always speaks in droughts. God's got a word for you in a drought. Matter of fact, if you've never been in a drought in your life, you really don't know if you trust God or not because you never had to. But the word of the Lord always comes. God speaks in a drought. But here's the other thing. God sent him to a widow in a drought. Does that seem like a bad idea to anybody else? I don't know if you understand the standing of widows in that culture in that time. They weren't rich. They had lost their husband, which means they had lost their income. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have rights. They couldn't vote. They were very poor. So why would God send you from a dried-up brook to a broke-down widow? That doesn't sound like an answer, right? It's like me saying, hey, why don't you go to, down to, you need something? Go down over to Southside in Birmingham and see if you can find a homeless person and maybe they have some extra for you. That's what we're looking at right here. Also, here's the other thing. I think everybody in this room probably has a dream vacation. How many of you, how many of you have a dream vacation? You say, you have a dream vacation? Do you? Really, like you got this one place? If we ever, you know, whatever, if we ever struck it, man, we're going to get a plane, we're going to pack a suitcase, and this is where we're going. I got a dream vacation. I don't have an exact location, but I kind of know the setting. Like, I want to go live in one of those little cabanas that's on the water. You know what I mean? Some tropical little place with a hammock on the corner. And where you just kind of roll out of the hammock from a nap, and you fish and swim and jet ski, and then sort of roll back up in there, eat seafood. Like we already told you, seafood's going to be in heaven, right? The marriage supper of the lamb's all seafood. Sorry, I don't know if you know the shrimp, you know, all kind of stuff. Blackened mahi-mahi tacos. Be incredible. And so I just want to kind of roll out of that and jet ski, and I want to kind of fade in and out of a nap and tropical fruit and pie and a hammock. And just, I want to hear the ocean, I want to hear the tide come in up underneath the cabana at night as I sleep. That's what I want to do. Anybody ever done that? You ever done that? Is it worth it? Would you do it again? That, that's what I want. That, that's a dream. But here, here's the thing you got to understand here. My point is, you and I have a dream vacation. I guarantee you if we were to poll everybody in the room, nobody says, my dream vacation is Zarephath. I was on TripAdvisor the other day, and you won't believe all the fun things they have to do in Zarephath. Nobody says that. You know why? Zarephath was the armpit of the world. It was terrible. It, it, it was absolutely terrible. It wasn't even in Israel. It was a pagan town. God's telling Elijah, not only am I telling you to move away from your source, which is where he, was, uh, where he got hydration and where he got bread brought to him twice a day, not only am I telling you to move away from your source, I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone into a place you would have never gone, and I'm going to ask you to depend on a widow. Now here's one thing I want you to see. Elijah would have never left the brook unless it dried up. Watch this. I guarantee you there's going to be some moment in your life where God loves you enough that he'll let your source dry up so you can realize that it's not really your source. He is. And that's a move of love. It's not a move of judgment. In that drought, he will lead you to a place that you can go. When you trust God with all your heart, 
God will lead you to some place you never would have gone on your own. For Elijah, it was Zarephath. Verse 10, to visit this widow. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering. He hadn't even gotten to town yet. She's already at the gate. She's, meeting. She's like the greeter, right? She's like the Walmart greeter. She's right out front. She's got a yellow smiley sticker, ready to put it on his face. She's gathering sticks, except this is a frowny face. You're going to find out why. He called to her and asked her, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And she was going to get it. He called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, isn't this interesting? Elijah is saying, I live by a stream, and I got all the water I needed, and it sustained me while everybody else was dying. And birds brought bread to me twice a day. So now, this source is dried up. And God's taking me somewhere else into Zarephath, this terrible place, to see this widow. Oh, there's a widow. If over here the brook and the birds are what supplied my need, I suppose when I get here the widow's going to supply my need. So you bring me bread and you bring me water. Just transferred it right over. You know, here's where I think we get in trouble. Don't project the last season of your life on the next season of your life. It might not look quite the same. As she was going to get it, he called, bring me a, a piece of bread and a, a little water. And he says, I guess this is kind of going to be the same thing that I had over before by the brook. But he's about to be set up for one gigantic disappointment. How many of you have ever had a disappointment in your life? Anybody? You said, I'm so disappointed I have to raise my hand. How many of you ever had a disappointment in life? You ever disappointment? I can remember when I was uh, living in Florida, I, I felt that God had called us to go plant a church. And so I had a buddy who had planted a church over, over in uh, South Alabama as a couple of hours away, from, and I was talking to him about it, just trying to get some advice. And he said, oh, man, are you kidding me? He said, there are so many communities over where we live that need a church. Man, why don't you just come over? And you and I will spend the whole day, and we'll just drive around, and we'll go city to city to city, and we'll just pray. And we'll just ask God to lay on your heart, what is the place that he's calling you to? And I thought, boy, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? So we scheduled it. I don't remember. It was a month or two, however long. So the day finally came. So I got up early that morning. I left, you know, at like sun up. I drove a few hours over to where he was. I, I, I got into town. I, I mean, remember flip phones? Right, yeah, I had a flip, it's almost like a Star Trek, you know, beam me up. I had a little flip phone. And I can remember calling him. Hey, man, how you doing? Just about an hour away, on my way, you know what I mean? I just left a voicemail, okay. Dialed again, hey, man. <laughs> hey, buddy. Closing in on your location. Got a 30-minute ETA. Answer the phone. <laughs> Click. I just kept popping that flip phone on and off. Hey, I'm sitting here on your front porch. Where are you? <laughs> Come out. Remember the plan? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even have never thought of it on my own, but you gave it to me. So why don't you do your side and come out? I didn't know where he lived. I'm sitting on the church front porch. So I'm calling. I guess we'll have to go get something to eat. I can't find him, so we got something to eat. 
Then I called him, nothing. Then I called him, nothing. I called the church, nothing. I called the church, nothing. Then I finally got his wife on the phone about three hours later, and she said, I don't really know where he's at right now. I said, I'm glad, because I'd probably drive him over with my car. I'm coming to plant a church in Jesus' name to help people, and I need to start by killing him. And I never found him. And I never heard from him again. And I thought, hey, God is maybe calling me to go to this area. To, to, this is a new season to plant a church. And I guess not. I was so heartbroken. I had taken the day, done the whole thing. So I just drove that two or three hours back home. Man, that was fun. You ever been disappointed? <laughs> well, that's what was going on here. Elijah was about to be very disappointed. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord, this is the widow talking to Elijah, your God lives. You see that? He's not my God. He's your God. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Wait, 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 wait. Did you not get the memo? The birds bring the bread, the widow bring the bread. The, I think it's a song. The birds bring the bread, the widow bring the bread. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how I had it all planned out. She replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And, and just to be honest with you, I wouldn't have told you unless you asked. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. And we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. I don't have any bread. I don't have a God. I don't have anything to drink. Nobody takes care of me. Nobody supplies my needs. I'm in this all by myself. Now remember, Elijah's living by the stream, and the birds are bringing everything, and he could have said, God, I trusted you. I would have never left there. But you told me to go over here to Zarephath. You told me, so I went because I trusted you, and I met this widow because I trusted you. Now what's going on? But now I find out you sent me to this broke-down, homicidal, suicidal widow. He could have said, forget it, I'm out. This isn't making sense. But watch how Elijah trusted God and didn't lean on his own understanding. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's like he went, and now I know why I'm here. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. This is crazy. I've read this, I've read this in my devotions. I've read this verse for years, and it's crazy every time I read it. He says, but first... Before you make the bread, before you make the food, before you take it to your son, and before you guys eat it and die. I think he's going to say, but first, let me give you, you know, a, a, a debit card to Walmart. Like, like, let me give you something that's going to help you. Let me, let me supply, let me multiply, let me help you out. Let me provide something. But that's not what he says at all. He says, but first, make a small loaf of bread for who? Me. What? From what you have left, because I know it's not much, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself. I know you're depressed. I know you're discouraged. I know you're down. I know you're in a drought. I know it's over. I know it's bad. I know you're going through a hard time. But you know what? By the way, make something for me first, because that'll be such a blessing to you. <laughs> just, it blows my mind. This doesn't make sense. Didn't she just say? 
You, you almost think if she's her, she's got her hands on her hips by this point and go, did you not hear a word I said? I'm going to make the bread and we're going to die. Now, you want, me to, you want me to make this for you? How could he possibly ask her to give him something first? Here's how. Elijah was a prophet of God and thus a representative of God. He looked at this woman and said, I know you think you're in the middle of a drought, and I know you think you're in the middle of a famine, and I know you think you're not going to make it, but what I'm going to challenge you to do in the middle of your drought is put God first. Don't make God a passing thought. Make him a priority. And let's see what happens. And rather, rather than Elijah saying, hey, I'm done, he challenged this widow to trust God with all his heart. When you're in a drought, you're most tempted to spend what you have left on yourself, but that's not the answer. If you have one seed left, don't eat it, plant it. Because then it can come up and produce fruit. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. If you put God first, I'm not promising you you're going to be rich. I am promising you you're going to have enough. Every time you go to the cabinet, there'll be enough. Every time you look in the water jar, there'll be more. Because in the middle of the drought, God will end your famine because he's not limited by your circumstances if you put him first. So what would happen this morning if you put God first in your career? Or you put God first in your relationships? Or you put God first with your children in your parenting? What if you sold out to Jesus and stopped trying to carry all the load all by yourself and you put God first in it and confessed your struggles? What would happen this morning if you put God first in your finances? See, I want you to know the joy of trusting God with all your heart, and I know the area of finances is one of the hardest, if not the hardest areas you and I have to trust God and to know His faithfulness. But it's a necessary step or we never learn His faithfulness. If all we depend on is ourself, we never learn the faithfulness of God. Now, I know it's a difficult area. I, I, I did a little research. I know it's a difficult area for us as a church. Uh, let me tell you what our, our deal is at Kingwood. About 17% of the people who attend Kingwood Church tithe. Now, you may go, that's terrible. That's way higher than the average. I don't know if you know that. That's way higher than the average. So that's the good news. Look, do you know last week our Master's Commission students went and did some school assemblies and 331 people came to the night rally and accepted Christ as their Savior? 331? It's incredible. 331. We, we have a, a, a senior adult ministry that goes out almost every work week, nursing home to nursing home to nursing home to nursing home, and does ministry in nursing homes. And you know almost every week somebody gets saved in a nursing home, usually more than one. Every, almost every week. This past Easter we saw people come to faith. Hundreds of people have accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord because of the ministry of this church. Last week, we prayed with seven people in last week's two services to receive Jesus. Last week. I don't know if you were able to be there. About 100 or so people at our picnic a couple weeks ago when we baptized 15 people. How, how many of you were part of that? Was that not incredible? 
That was an absolutely, one of the most beautiful baptisms I've ever been to in my life. Do you know we have more people connected to a life group than will be at worship service this morning in both services? Incredible things are happening. Last, a couple weeks ago, we had 90 people at our core prayer meeting. In the last 10 months, 70 new leaders have been raised up. 70 new leaders. We are preparing for a harvest. Renewal is happening, and we want to touch this city. Now, here's the thing. Here's the bad news. (laughs) Even if we're generous... Somewhere about 80% of the people who call this church home don't tithe. No, no, no. Now, now before you just shut your ears off and go, I've heard this before. Why is that bad news? Let me tell you why it's bad news. Because money is a thermometer. It measures how much you trust God. If we want a church that moves forward in faith to touch this county, we can't just settle with, hey, we're a lot better than most churches. Right? What if Elijah would have said, hey, at least I'm not dying like everybody else. At least I'm not starving to death. At least I'm not dehydrating. We have to be a church that has faith in God. Why? If we can't believe that God will take care of us when we tithe, how are we going to believe God to save someone that we love? How will we believe that? How are we going to believe God to heal someone who's sick when we pray? How are we going to believe God to forgive someone when they need it? How are we going to believe God to break bondages when bondages need to be broken? Or freedom from addiction or healing in the soul? Faith is faith. It doesn't have a compartment. It doesn't have a category. It doesn't fit in some other life. It's one whole life. If I believe God, I believe God. If I trust God, I trust God. If I have faith, I have faith. And giving is an area God uses to teach us to trust Him and and see His faithfulness for everywhere else. Because I can see it, right? So this morning, I just want to challenge you. In your info guide, you can look at the bottom. There's a little tear-off. If you've never taken the tithing challenge, I want to challenge you to take the tithing challenge. That's why we call it challenge, so we can say the word challenge a bunch of times. I want to challenge you to take the tithing challenge. What is the tithing challenge? Between now and the end of the year, three months, I want to challenge you to give God the first 10% of, of what you make and trust Him with all your heart. Now, for some of you, maybe, maybe 80%, maybe 60 maybe 50 I don't know. That's a cliff. That's like, uh, I've never jumped off that cliff before. Then you've never seen God's faithfulness before like this. And so I want to encourage you to take that step. If you put God first in your finances and you put him first for the next... Look, here, look, let me tell you how much I believe in God's faithfulness. You give God the first 10% of what you have for the next three months, and if he doesn't meet your needs, we'll give you your money back. You want to believe God or not? You want to have faith or not? Then let's do it in a tangible way. All you do is fill that out, tear it off. There's a white box in the Welcome Center. Drop it in there on your way out. I want you to see God's faithfulness in a tangible way, and I want you to know the joy of trusting God with your whole heart, leaning not on your understanding Acknowledge Him in all your ways, not just some of them, and watch God make your path straight. 
Now let's see what happened. Let's see what happened to the widow and Elijah. Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. She was there, uh, so there was food. How many days? Every day. For Elijah and, and for who else? And for the woman and who else? And for her family. There was food for Elijah and for the widow and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. See, here's the thing God knew. Elijah and the widow needed each other. They needed each other. They weren't going to ever walk in this thing and trust God's faithfulness until they stepped out. She was at the end of a rope. He was at the end of the brook. And they needed each other. God wanted to do a miracle, but they had to take a step of trust to see it. He had to move away from there into Zarephath, and she had to believe what he was saying. She had to actually make the little bread and give it to him. She could have just as easily said, no, I'm, I'm out. I'm dying anyway. She went away and did what Elijah told her. God did what he said to do because Elijah and the widow trusted God with all their heart. What God did for Elijah and God did for a widow at Zarephath, he'll do for you. Now look, several years ago, I had a vehicle that was, um, man, it was in bad, bad shape. It was like, I didn't know it. It was sick. How many of your cars get sick? The car got sick. It was coughing and sneezing. You know, we had to run an IV. And so I took it over to urgent care. And, and, uh, and here's what happened. The, the phone call came, and they said, hey, whatever it was, busted head, something crazy. I don't, I'm not a mechanic. It is like $1,200 or $50, something crazy. And I went, I went, you know what? Um, I don't know what I'm going to do because we don't, we don't have that. And I can remember that, that day thinking, God, um, I've always put you first. I mean, not perfectly, but I, but I have put you first. We've tithed all our, all our life since I was a teenager. I've tithed. Put you first. I don't know what to do. So I, our little family met, wife and two kids. We sat there. And I said, guys, here's what's going on. I don't know what to do. But we're going to pray, and we're just going to ask God to help. And I remember it being so overwhelmed. It was just a bad time. And I, we prayed. The next day, the manager of that store called me. And he said, you know what? I was driving that vehicle. And he said, when I was driving, and I felt like God told me, because they couldn't figure out exactly all that was wrong with it. He said, when I was driving, and I felt like God told me that whoever owns this vehicle, I need to help them. And he called me. And he said, look, I, I want to cover it. All of it? Yeah, we're just going to fix it. Now, the skeptical part of you might say, yeah, but you know what? If I pastored a big church, I bet somebody would know me and help me too. Right? Right? He didn't know who I was. When he drove the vehicle, he came back from the test drive and he went and told the person at the desk, I don't know who owns that vehicle, but I felt like God told me to help him. A few years ago, my mom, who lives on disability and has for years, was going through a real hard time. And I can't tell you how much it meant to me when she said, I said, Mom, are, are, you, still, are you still giving? Are you still tithing? She said, yeah, I'm still, I'm still giving. I said, I'm, I'm so glad. Because you're putting God first, and I don't know how, and I don't know when. But somehow God's going to help you. She lived in a little trailer that was worth very little. And... Um, she said, you know, a, a, a door's open, and I feel like maybe I ought to move. I don't know why, but, and I don't know what to do, but we talked about it a little bit for a few, couple months, and we prayed about it. 
And he said, you know, I think you need to move. Let me tell you what happened. So she moved, got into another location. Let me tell you what happened. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. My family all still lives there. The most historic flood in my lifetime hit that city and water backed up through the Mississippi River and all the little rivers in the city. And it backed up and put the trailer she used to live in in 10 feet of water. And it destroyed the entire trailer park. They never, they never even opened it again. It's still condemned. And that was just a few months after she moved. Now, I'm just telling you, you don't know if you trust God or not unless you have to. And I'm saying to you, you can trust God's faithfulness. And He will be faithful to you if you put Him first. So, so this morning, here's how I want to end this. I want to ask you to stand with me and let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. And I just want us to read it together. Like this is the, this is the verse of the day, right? W- would, you, would you read it out loud with me? And let's just read it together. Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Would you close your eyes, please? And I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. If you're here today and you're in a drought, maybe you're in a drought in your career, maybe it's with your children, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's within a, a, a mixed up a life, maybe you've compartmentalized some things, maybe it is in your finances, it doesn't even matter. Today, if you're here and you're in a drought, I want to tell you something. God loves you more than you know, and He wants to help you, and He wants to touch you, and He wants to prove His faithfulness to you. So if you need to do the tear-off, do the tear-off. But, but look, right now God wants to minister peace and life and faithfulness to your soul. If you're in a drought of some kind, Maybe, maybe you've been in a season where you've been trying to trust God. I've been there, and the truth is you go up and down. You do sometimes, you don't sometimes. You do sometimes, you don't sometimes. I've been there, I've been there. But today's a day where God is saying to you, I just want to invite you to take a step of trust. Here's what I'm saying to you. You don't have to doubt by yourself. You can doubt with somebody else. We want to stand with you. We want to pray for you. But today, I want to ask you, if you're in a drought, if you're straining to trust God, I just want you this morning to lift a hand and say, you know what, that's me today. Man, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of struggling. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you in the back. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The middle and the side. I'm just struggling to trust God. It's okay. Kingwood's a place where it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to struggle. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's okay. It's okay. Nobody judges you here. Nobody condemns you here. This is a safe place. If we're not going to struggle with our doubt at church, where are we going to struggle with it? So today, I want to invite you to step out of your drought into a season of trusting God. Or maybe you say, I've I've done this, but it's time to take another step 
and say, God, help me trust you. Help me to trust you. I'm going to pray for you this morning, and as I do, if you lifted your hand, I want you to come and just let one of the prayer team pray for you. I just want to let you, I want you to let one of the prayer team pray for you today and minister to you and encourage you. Lord, thank you today for your faithfulness. I think that you're so anxious. I think that you long so deeply to prove your faithfulness to us. And you are faithful. And we do doubt that. If we're honest, we all doubt that at different times in our life. And we doubt it and we maintain and we hold on to things. But today, God, we let go of. And Lord, today we take a step. I want you to come right now as the worship team begins to sing. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now and let someone pray for you. There's several hands in the room. I want you to come right now. Nobody's, we're not here to judge you. We're not here to, you know, we want to pray for you. We want to lift you up. We want to encourage you. We want your faith to grow. The balcony. Come on and we're going to pray for you today. Would you just sing this one time before we go?